Then Zophar, the Namanthite, replied, Are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce men to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, My beliefs are flawless, and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes along and confines you in prison and convenes a court, who can oppose him? Surely he recognizes deceitful men. And when he sees evil, does he not take note? But a witless man can no more become wise than a wild donkey's colt can be born a man. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water has gone by. Life will be brighter than noonday, and darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid, and many will court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail, and escape will elude them. Their hope will become a dying gasp. Then Job replied, Doubtless you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you, and I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? I've become a laughingstock to my friends. Though I called upon God and he answered, a mere laughingstock, though righteous and blameless. Men at ease have contempt for misfortune as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. The tents of marauders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure, those who carry their God in their own hands. But ask the animals, and they will teach you, or the birds of the air, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, or let the fish of the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature, and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words, or as the tongue tastes food? Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? To God belong wisdom and power and counsel and understanding are his. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. The man he imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. To him belong strength and victory. Both deceived and deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped and makes fools of judges. He takes off the shackles put on by kings and ties a loincloth around their waist. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows men long established. 
He silences the lips of trusted advisors and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason. He sends them wandering through a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. A few more verses. My eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. My brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you see when you see a fellow believer in serious suffering and in pain? Do you see someone who you have in the back of your mind is getting what they deserve? Do you see someone who made their bed and now they have to lie in it? Or do you see a brother or sister in Christ that no matter whose fault it is, is purchased by the dear blood of Christ and is in need of a friend, of some compassion, some grace, some companionship? Well, I'm going to take a look at a couple things this morning. We're going to look at it together, and I'll be as succinct as I can with a lot of material. But what I want you to see is I want you to take a look at what Zophar sees when he sees his friend Job. And then we're going to take a look at what Zophar says. We're going to take an actual look at his, the content of his words. Then we're going to see what Job sees when he looks around him at God and his friends and his suffering. And then we're going to take a look at what Job actually says in his pain and agony. So let's take a look at the first thing, what Zophar sees. And I'm going to be doing some summarizing. So I need you to, if you have your Bible, open it up to um, chapter 11 of Job. I shouldn't have closed mine. Job 11. I'm going to make some comments and hopefully you can connect it yourself so I don't have to point out every single verse. I'll point out a few things. Well, let me remind you of just uh, an important point here, and that's Job's complaint against his friends back in chapter 6. Verses 14 to 15. This is what Job says. This will kind of keep it in context for you so you can see what's going on here. Remember, Job said these words. A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brother, my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams. Now look, Job's complaint, what I want us to see here, is often the complaint of many struggling saints who deal with chronic suffering. When we suffer, and I can't say that I've suffered half as much as many, many of our brothers and sisters who have throughout the world. But I'll tell you this, when we do suffer, we're not really necessarily looking for all the answers. I don't necessarily want you to come and try to tell me the mysteries of God. 
because I know you have the same Bible I do, the same Holy Spirit I do, and you're probably not going to say nothing new. But I'll tell you what I do want, a little tenderness, maybe a little compassion. And here's the thing. We're definitely not expecting our closest friends and loved ones to coldly condemn us for bringing the situation upon our own heads. Especially, listen, especially, here's the thing with, with this whole situation with Job, especially if you don't have one shred of evidence to prove that the person's suffering was their own fault. Just suspicion. We're at the end of the first round of dialogues between Job and his three friends, and we've come to the third counselor, Zophar. And what we need to see about Zophar, and you'll see it by just reading it, he's the harshest of the three. He just goes right for the juggler. He doesn't try to, to, to beat around the bush or be kind. He goes right for the juggler. He doesn't even base his advice on tradition like the one counselor does. He doesn't base his advice on some spiritual vision he had or experience. He just goes right at him. And here's the thing. What does Zophar see? This is important. What does Zophar see when he sees his, his brother, his friend, Job? If we look at his words, we can actually see what he sees. And I'll just point out the verses. You can look at them yourself uh, to check up on me. But this is, I'm going to summarize. This is basically what he sees when he sees Job. He sees an idle talker. He sees a mocker. He sees an ungrateful, deceitful, witless, sinful, wicked man. That's a lot. That's a lot, isn't it? You can see these, this in verses 6, verse 11, verse 12, verse 14, and verse 20. Here's the thing that we could see, too, in terms of counseling. The number one requirement for, to be a good counselor and a good friend when counseling someone in pain is a heart of love and compassion that sees past the pain to the person. If you can't see past it to a person who needs your help, then as we're going to see later, Job says it himself, it's best for you to just say nothing. Zip. Keep quiet. Zophar, on top of this, <laughs> this is crazy. On top of this, Zophar says this, I wish God would come. Listen to this. I wish just... God would come right now and rebuke you. I wish God would come and put you in your place. Here's the interesting thing. We go way back to chapter 1. You see Job, who was a blameless man, a righteous man. And you remember what he did for his children? I want you, this is important to see this. Job offered up sacrifices for his children. Do you remember why? Just in case... They cursed God in their hearts. So here's, here's the point I'm making. All right? Job, who was a righteous man, when he thought his, sin, his sons and children had sinned, what did he do? He offered up a sacrifice and looked for mercy. When Zophar thinks his friend Job has sinned, what does he do? He wants to call down the thunder. 
Do you see the difference? He wants punishment. He wants condemnation for Job. And I think it's an important distinction, and it's important for us to see that mercy triumphs over judgment. And then as God's people, we should be crying out on behalf of those, even if they, if they did mess up on their own, we should be crying for mercy. You with me? Because I know that when you mess up, and when I mess up, we're not looking for judgment. We don't want the thunder from heaven, do we? We want mercy. Requirement number two for a good counselor that Zophar really messes up is don't pretend to know the mind of the Lord and speak on his behalf unless you have all the facts. You know, we're, don't pretend to know the mind of the Lord and speak on his behalf unless you know all the facts. You know, it's funny. He's, he's accusing Job of being an idle talker. But who's the idle talker? It's Zophar. He doesn't know what in the world he's talking about. He's clueless. That should be the movie. If there was a movie about these three friends, it should be called Clueless. All right. That's what Zophar sees. But now let's take a look at what Zophar says. Because he steps right in it. And you'll see in a moment. What Zophar says, as I mentioned, is I wish God would come and address you himself. But since he won't, I'll take it upon myself to speak for God. And then he says this, listen, talk about insensitivity. He says, God has even forgotten some of your sin. You know what that means, right? You're not even getting half of what you deserve. Compared to what God should be doing to you, he's merciful. Talking to a guy who's scraping his wounds with pottery, sitting on an ash heap, wife telling him to curse God, all his children dead, his house destroyed, and you're saying, God, you deserve worse. The problem is, of course, we've seen it again and again in the book, and the book wants to, make it wants to make it very clear to us, the author of Job, is that we know for sure that's not why Job was suffering. It was not because of any sin that he had committed. And so here's what you need to see. And it's just like when you go to the doctors. Did you ever notice if they get the diagnosis wrong, then what's going to happen? they're going to prescribe the wrong medicine. And that ain't safe, is it? Well, spiritually, it's even more important that we get the diagnosis correct before we start meeting out the prescription. And this joker doesn't do that. So Zophar actually insults Job to his face. He says this in verse 10 of chapter 11. If he comes along and confines you in a prison and convenes a, court, convenes a court, who can oppose him? But then he says this. Surely he recognizes deceitful men, Job. In other words, God knows deceitful men of whom you are one. And when he sees evil, does he not take note? In other words, God must have seen evil in you because he's taken note of you. But here's where he gets insulting. But a witless man can no more become wise than a wild donkey's colt can be become can be born a man so what he's saying is sooner a donkey is going to bear a human sooner than you're going to get it through your thick head the wisdom of god 
you know, in our day we would say pigs are going to fly before Job's going to get it. So now here, now here's his advice. Now here it goes. This is the advice so far gives him. Stretch out your hands to God. Pray for forgiveness, in other words. Put away the sin in your hand. Repent. And if you do, then your troubles will be forgotten like water under the bridge. Your life will be bright again, and people will once again look for your acceptance and approval. Well, Elder Smick points, points this out. He says, Zophar erroneously suggested that if one repents and gets right with God, this guarantees that the struggles and troubles of this life will dissolve. Job's troubles did not come as a penalty from God, and even if they did, Job's repentance would not guarantee that life from then on would be brighter than noonday and that people would stop molesting him and instead court his favor. Listen, this is a big takeaway from the whole book. If you're falling asleep, listen to this. Let's get this clear right here and right now because there are many, many churches that teach the opposite of this. And, it, and it's dangerous. It's a dangerous poison. And here's what it is. This is the takeaway. True repentance. Listen to this. A true break from sin and turning back to God in genuine faith does not, and I want to repeat this, does not guarantee a trouble-free, easy life that's always filled with sunshine and earthly blessing. Yeah, it's very important to see this. And here's the great I irony. Zophar thinks he's taking Job to school. He's taking him to sovereign school. He rebukes Job for not, supposedly not understanding the mysterious and powerful ways of God. When in reality, here's the reality, he's more in the dark than Job is. Because Job knows a righteous man can suffer not because of anything he has done. But Zophar hasn't caught that yet. Here's, here's one thing I want to mention. It's important to see this. There is the general rule. We, we saw in our prayer of repentance earlier this morning from Hosea. There is a general rule, right? That God punishes the wicked and God rewards the righteous, right? It's a general rule. And many times God brings us low to discipline us so that when we repent, he restores us. Can I get an amen? Amen. But here's the problem. That is what we call this rule. I before E except after C. So in other words, sometimes I doesn't come before E, right? right? Before C, it's E before I, right? right? And what we have to see is there are times when there is awful suffering and there are things that our sovereign God does that we just cannot comprehend why he's done it and it's not because of someone's particular sin or anything they did wrong. And Job wants to point, and Job, as we'll see, will point this out. He's gonna, he says, you want to take me to sovereign school? Guess what? I've been to that school, and I'm a higher grade than you. As a matter of fact, I'm one of the professors compared to you. That's what he's going to say. I think it's important to see this. It's very important to see it. Because notice this. He says basically that if Job repents, that he would be brighter than his life would be brighter than noonday. And that people would stop molesting him and instead would court his favor. And what Job is going to say, oh yeah? Is that what will really happen? And so now we're going to take a look at what Job sees. Take a look at verse 1 of chapter um, 
12, I believe it is. Now Job, he just goes, and he's flat out sarcastic. Look at what he says. Doubtless you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. Look, in case you're not catching the sarcasm, I'm going to put it in the singular for you. Surely you the man. You got this. And a man, when you die, all wisdom's gone with you. We're going to have to say goodbye to wisdom because you got a corner on the truth. But he says this, look at verse 3. But I have a mind as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? And then Job says some pretty intense stuff here. He basically says, you want me to cry out to God and then God's going to bless me. Well, I cried out to God, and he answered me. And guess what? I'm a laughing stock to my friends. If I cry out to God, my life will be brighter than noonday. I'm in the dark here. I have no clue what's going on. Many will court my favor. Are you kidding me? My own friends mock me. I'm a laughing stock. And then Job makes these heartbreaking comments. Men at ease have contempt for misfortune as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. In other words, it's easy for you. When you're healthy, you're not in pain to have this this formula. God blesses the righteous and he punishes the wicked. But here's the thing. Your worldview cannot account for these facts dear friends. And here's what he says. The tents of marauders are undisturbed and those who provoke God are secure. Those who carry their God in their own hands. Here's what he's saying. You're saying if I cry out to God, my life will be secure. Well, guess what? I see thieves and robbers who who make gods and they can hold their their God in their own hands. And guess what? They're secure. And they're not suffering. And they're healthy. And they're getting away with it. Job says, my eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. What you know, in verse, chapter 13, I also know I'm not inferior to you. And here's the thing. This is powerful. What he's saying is this. Yes, I agree with you that God is sovereign. That he's the one true God. He controls everything. But what you are not taking account for is the fact that sometimes God's sovereign will brings about things that are terrifying things that are inexplicable to the human mind and he lists all those things earlier about how God takes princes right he brings them up and he brings them down nations rise and he smashes uh, nations he'll take even a priest even good people leaders and he'll confound them too oh but you don't like the dark side of God's sovereignty you don't have room listen why do you think They're so persistent with this little formula. Do good and God will bless you. Do evil and God will curse you. Why do you think? I'll tell you why. Because they're afraid themselves. You know why? Because if Job is righteous and hasn't done anything wrong, then guess what? God could bring adversity in their life too. They don't have control over it. See, what they want is control over God. And brothers and sisters, this world and our life 
The life we live on this side of glory is messy business. It's not a nice little box. The new Bible commentary puts it this way. Job has, by his experience, gained a higher wisdom than theirs. He knows something they do not know, that it is possible for a righteous man to be afflicted, and equally that the deeds of the wicked can go unpunished. So what does Job see? He sees a sovereign God whose ways can't be traced, whose ways can't be boiled down to a simplistic, the wicked get punished and the righteous get rewarded. And, listen, he sees three so-called friends whom he will later refer to, listen, as worthless counselors. He's going to say to them, you're worthless physicians. And that's the last thing I want to point out for time's sake. It's not just what Job sees, but what Job says. And this is very important for later on in the book. Chapter 13, verse 3, this is what Job says. But I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. In other words, I'm done with these guys. That's what he's saying. I'm done with you. You three are worthless. I came for a little compassion, and you're telling me these things that aren't even true about me. So the rest of the chapter, in chapter 13, he's going to begin to direct his attention to God. He's going to address God. It's going to be some crazy stuff. But I just want to um, finish up on what he says to his uh, friends here. And before he does go and address God directly, he's not done with his three friends. He can't hold it, and he's got to get it off his chest. And so this is what he says. He says, you, however, smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians, all of you. And then here's, here's that wonderful statement. If only you would be altogether silent, for you that would be wisdom. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. He goes, man, you would look really brilliant if you just shut up. Scoozy. But notice what Job does. Job accuses them of smearing him with lies. Did you notice that? They keep accusing him of some secret wickedness that they have no evidence to back it up with. But here's what I want you to see about Job. And this is, this is what's true about a righteous man, even in severe testing and suffering. He actually is worried about them. How do you like that? You go to see the patient, and the patient's worried about you. Why do I say that? Well, because this is what he says. Hear now my arguments. Listen to the plea of my lips. Will you speak wickedly on God's behalf? Will you speak deceitfully for him? Will you show him partiality? Will you argue the case for God? Would it turn out well if he examined you? Could you deceive him as you might deceive men? He would surely rebuke you if you secretly showed partiality. Would not his splendor terrify you? Would not the dread of him fall on you? Your maxims and proverbs... Your, your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Here's what Job is saying. You've got to pick up what he's saying. He's basically saying this. You think God appreciates partiality, even if you're being partial toward him? 
In other words, God is looking for sincerity. He's looking for honesty. He's looking for truth. And you guys are lying. You guys are smearing me with lies. You're accusing me of wickedness when you have no proof that there is any. And you're misrepresenting God. Because you're saying on behalf of God that this has happened because of something I've done. You following the logic? And what Job is saying, it's not going to be good for you guys. When God comes and, 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 and holds you responsible for your counsel, when he calls you in his presence, do you think it's going to be a pretty picture? He's saying, you think you're going to be able to stand before God without being terrified when he calls you on the carpet? Listen, what God, God, there's a really important thing here. God doesn't need a lawyer. These guys think that they're, they're, they're lawyers for God. But you know what they really are? False witnesses. See, they're in the courtroom. They think they're these great lawyers. They're false witnesses. One more quote from a commentator. He says, he wants to let them know that God would not be pleased to find out that in trying to justify his ways to Job, they have turned to lies about sin and punishment. Any theology that does not have room for Job's experience, that of a righteous man who is suffering, is a lie. And it is shocking that lies should be spoken about God. Now listen. The end of the book, do you, to, to prove that this is what's going on here, the end of the book, do you remember what God says to the three friends? He says, you have not spoken correctly about me, as my servant Job has. So my servant Job will offer up a sacrifice and pray for you. Exactly what Job predicts happens at the end of the book. As I close, there's a lot of material to cover. Next week it'll be a lot more of a normal type of sermon with theme and points, but this week I just had to just give it to you raw. But as we get back to, to Job, he's going to turn from his friends now, and so we're going to pick it up next time, and he's going to plead his case before God. He's going to take his life in his hands, and he's going to say, there's no one else that's willing to do this for me. So God, I want to I'm going to come into your presence and I'm going to ask you, what do you have against me? Show me your case. <laughs> what, what Job is doing here, and where we're going to pick it up next time, is this. You may remember, after all these horrible things happened to him, you remember what his wife said to him? Curse God and die. You remember his response? You are talking like a foolish woman. Should we not expect trouble from the Lord as well as good? What a wonderful reply. But here's the thing. It was easier to say at the beginning than it is when the suffering just won't go away. And so what Job is grappling with is something that he knows is true, that he believes is true, but his experience is, is making it very difficult to hang on to. And that's what we're going to see as we pick it up next time is a man suffering to apply what he already knows to be true. Sound familiar? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible book. We know you have it here for a reason. You didn't give us 42 chapters 
to overlook, but rather it's for us to know, to learn. We thank you that you are God and that no one can control you, but you are controlled by your own holy, righteous character. Father, we don't understand your ways. We don't always understand the decisions you make, but we do know that you are a good and a gracious and a loving God. So, Father, as we wrestle with these great truths of your sovereignty, Father, may we persevere in trusting you even when we can't see the plan from beginning to end. Oh, God, may we be among those who worship you not just because you'll bless us, but because of how awesome you are. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.